This is episode 316 of The Amy Ehlers Show. I'm your host, you guessed it, Amy Ehlers. <laughs> I'm a master coach, women's leadership expert, and keynote speaker. And The Amy Ehlers Show is especially for emerging, rising, and established women leaders that are ready to stop being so hard on themselves so they can make their greatest contribution rise and lead. Show notes for today's episode can be found at amyehlersshow.com forward slash 316. You are in for a treat today because we are going to go there. We are going to go deep and we are going to go into one of these places that I am really curious about. We're going to talk about the internalized patriarchy. And I brought one of my dearest friends, someone that I feel like is probably one of the smartest women I know and have the privilege of having in my life, truly. She is an incredible soul that has so much depth and then brings all of this heart-centered depth and like this vast ocean of goodness and combines it with this brain (laughs) that is unparalleled. And she, I can't think of anyone better to talk about this topic. We were talking about it offline one day and I was like, we have to do a show about this. So I'm so excited that she is here. Her name is Shannon Thompson. She's the founder and visionary director of Shakti Rising, which I really encourage you to check out. It's at shaktirising.org. Shakti Rising is a social change organization transforming the lives of women, girls, and the larger community. They cultivate the health and emerging leadership of women and girls, ultimately empowering them to use their personal transformation as a catalyst for positive change in their families and communities. And Shannon is a truth teller. She's a lifelong learner. She's an organizational consultant and a leadership coach. She also is a, an incredible social worker, a substance abuse expert, and a trauma-informed work, uh, a trauma-informed, does trauma-informed work for women and youth. I could literally sit here for an hour and list off everything from her being a certified yoga instructor, a massage therapist, a flower essence practitioner, ordained minister. I mean, what the what? Like this lady is incredible. She's done so much in her life and truly Shakti Rising, the organization that she founded is unparalleled when it comes to being a social change organization and is doing work on like boots on the ground work in cities all over the United States of America. And I am just so honored to have Shannon in my life and overjoyed that she's joining us for this show and for this topic. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Amy. Now I feel shy. I'm going to retreat into my turtle shell. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? It's weird to be reminded of how much you've done and accomplished in your life. I mean, it's really um, awesome in the true sense of the word. And I love that I just got to reflect some of that to you. And I was like stumbling over my words because I get so excited because I'm like, oh my gosh, wait, and she does that and that and that, like what? Um, So I'd love to just have you start by sharing a bit of your story and how you ended up founding Shakti Rising. Mm, Yeah. Well, since we're <clears throat> Since we're good friends and we're going to go right there, I'll tell the behind the curtain, like just pull the curtain right back. Please do. The Please short do. version. Okay. Yeah. But I'll keep it short because this could be like really the whole, <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> I got it. Okay. So yeah. <clears throat> here's the real truth. The um, Shakti Rising started as a series of dreams that came to me when I was a teenager. Wow. 
Yeah. And I never told anyone this and except for the women when we founded the organization that I was working with to do it because as somebody who's um, an academic and a researcher and, you know, did my thesis about reexamining substance abuse and analyzing power dynamics and between youth and women in the country and how treatment, you know, just all the steps, systemic inequity, this was really informing me. I didn't want people to, well, one, it was really sacred. It was a really incredible process. And two, I just had this feeling that people were going to write it off out of hand. And there were already so many things about Shakti Rising, our entire approach, our model, being in and of the feminine. And by that, I don't mean it in the way we're seeing it really commodified. I mean in the way that there has been feminine, um, what I want want to call it, there's a feminine like Mm. undercurrent or second thread in every culture that at least I know of, and I don't know every culture, but the cult around the world going back in time. Mm. And so this isn't just a way you dress or a particular way you act or look or becoming soft or attractive or just yin. This is actually about embracing the other, the, you know, the partner aspect, if you will, of the masculine, that these two things are meant to be in a dance. And so because Shakti was already really complex, <clears throat> I left the story out, which is that when I was a teenager, I started having these waking visions and dreams of something that I didn't know what it was, but Mm. there was such a strong feeling attached to them that when I would wake up, I would try the best to the best of my ability to write it down. Like what I saw, what I witnessed, because it was Mm. like watching a movie, you know, Mm. it wasn't like, Oh, I have this idea. It was not like that at all. It was like, Whoa, something is playing out for me. And that continued. Um, I got into recovery. A lot of stuff was happening in my own personal journey and these dreams and visions and this the mystical path of my life was really amplifying alongside like my own recovery and then I went to college at UC Santa Cruz and had this really powerful experience of while I was doing um working in all kinds of settings jails and high schools and colleges and corporate and working in domestic violence and substance abuse with youth and Um, but also teaching at the high school and becoming tapped really young to go train other professionals. So I was in, you know, working in sociology and looking at injustices and really examining what I saw that a lot of treatment was pathologizing what was systemic inequity. And, okay. And so what do you mean? Yeah. So what do you explain what you mean by that? Yeah. So what I mean is that in a lot of cases, and, and I want to start by saying I'll be dancing back and forth because I obviously am very passionate and convicted and I speak really confidently. That doesn't mean I think I have all the answers or that my answer is right for everybody. I want right. to be really clear about that up front. Yeah. But one thing I witnessed that is very systemic is that when people in our system, and let's just start with women and youth, in any way start acting out, the system itself doesn't look at itself and go, maybe there's something wrong with us. It Mm. looks at them and goes, well, there's something wrong with you. Mm. So here I'm watching all these women and these youth in these circumstances that are inextricably connected to poverty, opportunity, education, race. um, And in many cases, very bright lights really tuned in who were choosing to check out. They were not... I mean, and this, again, I'm not saying this is everybody. I'm saying, though, that I noticed 
that a lot of what was being labeled as deviant behavior was actually like trying to exercise freedom and say, I don't want to be part of this system. It is not like, I don't want to have a stake in that life. Mm. So when I dug into that, that's what I wrote my undergrad thesis on was really saying, we need to re-examine the way we're looking at substance abuse because we are saying that this is just an individual problem, but indeed this is actually a social problem. Right. 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 Well, it's like the canaries in the coal mine, right? It's It's exactly that. Yeah. Exactly that. Yeah. And so the canaries are usually the ones that are the sensitive ones that understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. And then they turn to things like substances. Um, And this is not always the case, but sometimes. And utilize that because they can see how sick the system is. Mm -hmm. And they opt out. They look for ways to opt out. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And so when we look at internalized patriarchy, talk to me a little bit about defining what that even is. Well, I mean, there's, so here's these other moments where I'll do this dance with you. I'm a super straight talker, right? I'm on the ground in the community doing work. I'm running an organization that is really about trying to help us reconnect restore, remember the feminine as it is like an essential lived part of us. And if you look at something like, let's look at rewilding and how this has gotten all new, like it's a current buzz phrase, right? In our culture. Mm. And why is that? Because yet again, and this is cyclical, but yet again, people are going, oh my God, our relationship with nature and our inner inner wild, excuse me, are essential for our health. Mm. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why, Okay. So yes, the, the new way that it might be happening may look trendy, but really it's a return of an awareness that has been happening cyclically. Okay, so the same is true with the feminine. This is not some out-of-bounds, bizarre thing. Even if it feels truly foreign to us in a lot of ways, it really is part of who we are. It's an essential aspect of soul, of our being. So, But what has happened is culturally we have an an overculture or a norm that has devalued systemically consistently over a long period of time, the ways, the being, some of the traits, aspects associated with what, what we might call feminine. And I'm not talking about gender right now. I'm talking more, you know, right. So, and there are not, if you look around, there haven't been, Faces, stories, role models, examples, um, myths um, of that that really express the the rightfulness or the divinity or the um, desirability or the health of that whole image. Are you with me so far? I'm with you. I'm with you. So what I'm getting is that there's been this systemic oppression of the feminine and and really of allowing the feminine to be modeled and revered and even at the table (laughs) at all Mm -hmm. in our society. Mm -hmm. So what becomes, what happens when we start to do this work and we look up to this, what in, I think that Susan, um, Sue Monk-Kidd did a beautiful job in her book, The Dance of of the Dissident Daughter, talking about the feminine wound. This is not a personal thing. I mean, it is personal. I want to be really clear. This happens to us personally. So, of course, it's personal. But I'm really going to speak about 
what is happening at the collective, at mm-hmm. a community level, okay? Because one of the things that has happened as a result of internalized patriarchy and oppression and this enculturation that I speak to is that we've actually all signed on to this idea that, well, I'll personally get enough, I'll personally heal, I'll personally someday be ready, I'll personally have enough time. And that actually is a way that we've broken down the fabric of community and society in positive ways, because if the community is healthy, if the town center is really healthy, it can feed the individuals really powerfully. And I'm not saying it's one or the other. I'm saying the interdependent interaction between a thriving community has the ability to really support and buffer and have resilience for more individuals. So one of the ways that this has happened now is you take the outside part of like in a way, patriarchy. And if we just boil it down, and I'm not talking academically, there are so many people who can who will really articulate this in a lot more fancy ways, theoretical ways. They may disagree with what I'm saying, but here's how I you know understand it is that we end up in a culture where the communication consistently across institutions, across <clears throat> social norms, and it's in wages, it's in Um, who's in leadership, it's in um, who gets uh, believed when they bring stories forward, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just a thousand Mm -hmm. ways this occurs. It's not just happening outside in the institutions. The reason that it works is we internalize it. And so without knowing it, and I said this to you before we got on the call, it's it's like we have an internal core foundation that is us. Okay, like, let's just say our part that's more connected to nature, our own wild soul that everybody has. And yet what happens is through schooling and norms and work and striving and social media, all this different stuff, we're internalizing constantly messages. They're really powerful because they, they gain strength with repetition, with how many people are saying them and with the fact that people go along with it. Right? So all of a sudden what you have is a scaffolding that's built internally around your real self and you don't know it. And you start Mm. to believe that the scaffolding is actually who you are. Mm. And this is why we see women and why talking about and dealing with internalized patriarchy, going back to what Shakti is about, it is so challenging and threatening because it really shakes us to the core and it asks us to examine really honestly with a ton of compassion, but really straight talk ourselves. Wait a minute. Where did this belief really come from? Where did this behavior really come from? What's driving this? Like you gave that great example of um, what makes us like, what's the truth about how we really look? Mm, mm. Right. Like how we dress, what it is that we wear. Sometimes we think that, oh, I feel good in this. I'm, I'm adorning my body and I feel great in this. And then we walk out the door or we go on stage or we go on TV or what have you without even understanding that the reason we feel good in that is because it is something that is going to impress the male gaze. It's something that's going to please the patriarchy on some subconscious level. And then it's really confusing as powerful women and as moms that are raising daughters, speaking for myself personally, right? To be able to even, you know, untangle what is true and what is just 
what you've been taught, what you've been told, the assumptions that you've made, the beliefs that you've been ingesting since the day that you were born, being brought up in a society that is all about the male gaze and all about, you know, creating more strength for the patriarchy to continue Mm -hmm. moving forward and being in power. Well, and the reality is, is that we get benefits by colluding. So the things, I mean, this is why there's a heated conversation right now that's happening a lot between women of color and race. This is not the only reason why, but there is heated conversation. And a lot of it is about privilege. And a lot of it is about like, you know, you, you think you have the right to choose to unpack this, or you feel like you have the space to opt in or out of this. Whereas whole swaths of our country don't, they're dealing with this day in and day out all the time. They don't get to say, am I ready for this? Mm. Like it is, is part of, they have to stand up. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of, <clears throat> and I understand this because what happens when, you know, when we really start having to unpack this stuff, right? This, this question that kind of comes up is if we look inside of ourselves, who, like a way to raise our own consciousness is to really start asking who or what has an interest in maintaining this kind of belief in our lives or this oppression or this behavior, who is benefiting from this? And it's really hard because one, it's hard for each of us individually to think that we've been making all these decisions free will. And then to discover that maybe we've been actually being manipulated or raised or grown up to do this. Yeah. But by the same token, we have research coming out that shows how marketing, you know, corporations target uh, what they consider lifetime shoppers, starting when they're kids. Yeah. Like marketing affects <clears throat> people's choices. The research comes out and says social media affects people's choices. Groupthink af- affects people's choices, right? So it's not this crazy leap, but it's really painful to start to consider, as you use the example, to ask myself the question, do I really think I look good in this? Or do I think I get male attention or approval or acceptance, or I don't get singled out and therefore I'm not threatened? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and the answer is you know, going to be complicated. Maybe you also really like it, but there's a, you have to like actually suspend for a period of time the idea that it's all you and be willing to ask, do I really even feel this way? Do I dye my hair blonde? Because, and this is, again, any of these examples, Yeah, they're not, I'm, you know, but I, this is just one, right? It's a popular thing. Do I, do I dye my hair blonde? Because, you know, there's a certain sort of understanding around that look. Right. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a willingness but it goes even farther because when we start talking about this, it's like, then we get to really look at, wait a minute, where are the ways that I might be colluding with this power structure because I perceive that I'm getting benefits and right. that's privilege right there. That's mm. the area to examine. Mm. Mm. So if you're standing in front of a group of women that are really interested in deconstructing that scaffolding as you were talking about so that they could really get to the core of what's really true for them and really dismantle that internalized patriarchy. What, tell us a few things that women can start to do. We've kind of been talking about it here, but let's get some real concrete things that women can start doing to start investigating this and to start dismantling that scaffolding. Well, I really wish 
everyone in the world could could have taken or could get the um, Bettina Apthaker was a professor at UC Santa Cruz and she taught the intro to femme class and it was such a powerful class so I guess here's one thing right away is notice your reaction to the term feminism Uh notice your reaction to the term internalized patriarchy Uh like just start there start with what comes up notice what occurs when you consider that you might have privilege because so what happens in this conversation with privilege is so much shame comes up and fear and guilt and all very crippling emotions that don't make it possible for us to understand that like, you know, privilege is an instrument of oppression. It's given by the oppressors typically. I mean, I'm talking now social constructs. So just go with me for a second. So it can be taken away. Uh-huh. And it's used really potently because then you have people who are being oppressed also participating in oppressing others. I mean, it's, it's a very effective tool you know, so because people want power, they want a sense of power and agency. So, so we start in a number of ways. One, you could just dive deep and start examining your own relationship with power and agency. And do you feel like your power is all role accorded? Do you feel like it comes from your status? I mean, what is happening with you and, and right use of power? And that's a lifetime's worth of work right right there. You know, I mean, it's really, and it's, it's important work because we're seeing it played out in our communities, in our workplaces, in our families, and certainly in our society. But there's also like these small, steady, small chunks that are really also important on the road is one thing I notice is like a lot of times, um, what I was really surprised by when I started Shakti Rising and was doing work about stewarding the leadership and health of women and girls across the country. Okay. So, you know, I think, it's pretty straightforward that we would get on board with that. Right. Right. No, it's not the amount of reaction that I deal with on a regular basis. And a lot of the time from women who Mm -hmm. are, why does it have to be about women? You're harming men. Um, you're trying to ask for special favors. I mean, even when there's research all around the world that investing in the health and leadership of women and girls actually ends up Um, resulting in outcomes for the community, which means men and women, right? And children, even though there is massive amounts of research that backs that in this country, we still don't fund those programs. I mean, it's like they're like what, between 10 and 20% of the overriding amount of money that get, that goes into funding programs at large and women's right to vote was largely funded by men. These are things that are like, why what's going on there Mm. well this is what that feminine wound in the split is is because like and i see it nine times out of ten when women immediately go oh my gosh this is going to hurt men or you're saying that i'm a men hater i mean isn't it interesting that feminism which really just means equal rights and humanity you know like equality between men and women has now come to mean something about men (laughs) that's internalized patriarchy right there Right, right right So I think being able to get real with ourselves and talk about it and have safe spaces that aren't just about a lot of political discourse because things get really complicated and there's a lot of this politically correct language because one, people are afraid to make mistakes. Two, this stuff is so loaded and we don't really know how to deal with it. So there needs to be a lot of amnesty and like genuine like willingness to unpack our stuff, to learn, to be kind to each other while we're being very truthful. Like one thing I talk about is like, that internalized privilege, which comes with the patriarchy is like thinking we even have a choice about whether to respond to the challenges and equities of our culture. That's privilege that Mm. thinks that I get to say, well, I don't know, maybe I'll do something about that. 
I mean, just think about that for a second. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm not saying that to guilt anyone. I'm just saying we need to get really honest about the reality. Like how many people in the world or in this country, that is not their reality. Right. So these are some of the places that, you know, and a lot of times recently people have been saying to me, well, I just don't have time and it's not sustainable actually to get involved in fill in the blank, like um, social change about the environment or about women leadership or about poverty. And I just, I'm really silent when I hear that because I'm just like, what would happen if the people who fought for civil rights or for the farm workers' rights or for the women's right to vote said, I don't have enough time for this and I don't get paid because they sure as hell didn't get paid to do it. Right. There's something going on, right, in all of this. Like, you know, I'm not resilient enough. I don't have enough self-care for this. I th- these are things to start to examine and go, okay, it's really important to take care of yourself. And it's really important to examine internalized voices. Like you talk a lot about the voices that people internalize that are like they're bullies and they're right. mean girls, right? Well, I would take that out a step farther and say, that's, that's part of the systemic, that's, that's intentional. That's happening at a cultural level. Because what's the great way to disable people is if right. they disable themselves. Right. 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 Absolutely. And that, I, I, it's so true. I feel, um, you know, when we look at and, and watching, you know, raising two girls and watching what's happening, whether they're watching TV or on YouTube and, you know, the YouTubers or whatever, it's just so fascinating to see how fueled the inner mean girl voice is in every, uh, it, they're bombarded with it, the fuel mm-hmm. for that. And just even like, you know, the idea and the, I, the beauty ideals, the, that girls oh, are supposed yeah. to be skinny, that they're supposed to look a certain way, all of that, just to see the incredible distraction that is from being able to raise our girls to be leaders, to be able to do the work that they need to do in the world. It's like if we are so distracted with the, the wrinkles or the, the love handles or whatever it is, it's like what a brilliant uh, structure and construct that our society has come up with to say women are not supposed to age. They're supposed to, all, you know, like the amount of plastic surgery, even friends and colleagues of mine are getting, I'm just like shocked because I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, that money, those resources, that time, that energy, that, you know, looking in the mirror and feeling so bad about yourself, all of those things is the perfect way to make it so that you don't get to step fully into your power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and people are really well-meaning, you know, like I know that, you know, through the years of me being a, a really like, um, visible, even though I'm shy, you know, being visible in what I'm doing. And because yeah. I'm really passionate about this work, it's a, it's a lifetime piece of work for me, as you and I've talked about is really helping shift culture so that women and girls thrive in this yeah. culture, because I believe that's necessary for all of us to thrive. And, um, things said to me like, well, Shannon, the way you look is going to affect whether people um, listen to you or not. And the fact that it's true. Mm-hmm. And people saying to me, Shannon, you really should have a partner and come out about your partnership because, hey, you need to be a role model to these women. These were well-meaning things that were said. Okay. These were not, mm-hmm. these were not unkind people and they were mostly intelligent people Yeah, who have not examined where is that coming from? Right. Right. There's a lot of, there's a lot of constructs going on that you're assuming that me being with a male partner is good role modeling for all the women in my program. There's a lot of things to actually right. examine right inside of that, or that, that I owe it to society as a woman leader to have a partner. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, 
And these are the places like when we start talking about it inevitably in circles, when we talk about doing work with as women or like thinking about, I, I think about what I'm seeing with the young activists in our country and in other countries, but it, you know, in our country and other countries and how the criticism that gets leveraged at them is things that are typically associated with being hurtful and that have been associated with being feminine, at least in many cultures. And I'm not saying it's only feminine, but they have been definitely put in that category and then demeaned, which is to be emotional, to be vulnerable and right. to speak out about it. Right. And that's, the, and, and, and herein is the rub because the reason we want to undercur, you know, say, and this goes back to like women being hysterical in the twenties and then having to have their uteruses removed, which hi, that's not that long ago. Wow. Okay, that this happened. Women being medicated with heroin before it became illegal because they were being prescribed as being hysterical. And a lot of these women were also speaking up about rights and problems and inequity. Okay, so, so you know, what, is, what I think happens is when you really, when I teach about being embodied feminine leaders, one of the things that happens is, is that you cannot deny the reality of the heart, not just your heart. I'm not saying being like, um, overly emotive because I don't think that's actually feminine I think that's really immature I think that's not maturity okay (laughs) I mean like right the sovereign great heart that cannot see what's happening in our culture like the degradation of the environment like that people are being put into inhumane environment um, conditions at the border and that we are letting it happen yeah you can't look at that and have it not affect your heart right? And to go, who are we as a people? Like it's before you even get to the policy conversation about what should or shouldn't happen. For me, it's like, how can we treat anyone as though they're not human and dignified and valuable and deserving to be treated and fed and safe, regardless of the conversation we need to have about what we want to do with the policy in the future? Right. It's like, can't that just be the starting point that we all just that, why is that not a common ground? And why is it when people speak out about that and that conditions are dehumanizing and horrifying, they're called emotional, overreactive. And and, and here's what goes with that is that you don't get it. This is the undertone of some of the internalized constructs that this is immaturity that doesn't get that you've got to do what it takes for political agency or for business as usual. But what, what they're saying is, is that these sacrifices are acceptable if you're going to make a profit or if we're going to fill in the blank. And really what this other voice is rising up is saying, actually, it's not. It's not acceptable. And we're not going to believe that it's the only way. You cannot make me believe this is the only way to do business. You can't tell me that the crude results that we get right now, we think are good enough. I'm just not signing on to that. Yeah. I believe in this country and this culture and our, our potential, you know, but so these internalized power constructs going back to like some of the, I'm sorry, I know you're asking me for simple, simple steps and it, it can be really scary and maybe be overwhelming for people listening to this because they might go, Whoa, Shannon is so far out there and I don't want to be like that. And therefore I don't want to examine this. And I just want to say to you, I, you won't, this is not about where you end up politically. We may end up on very different aspects of the, what we believe. But the point is, is internalized patriarchy is a power construct that demeans all of us. It Mm -hmm. actually harms all of us. And that includes men. So, you know, really, if we want to be sovereign and we want to be free and have agency and innovate, then you want to examine what drives us. When you say that, that it harms men, 
What is internalized patriarchy costing men? Well, I mean, a society of healthy, free women. <laughs> Which I think that's good. That's good. That's a good point. Yeah. And that's, right? their, that's their moms. I yeah. mean, every man has a mom. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, and, and, and ultimately, like, we, you know, to be really in full partnership as, um, as friends, as family, as romantic partners, if we have that, as workmates, you know, sometimes I think a lot of the um, stuff that's happening in power differentials in society is because we just really don't, we, we really haven't worked at the core to help people have their own sense of personal power. And so we have to accord so many laws to try to protect people because we have so many power abuses, right? So I think when you ask about what's happening for men, I just think it's, I mean, there's studies about it too. You know, there's countless stuff about it, about not, I mean, because it's the very things that are demeaned for us are demeaned in them as well. So, you know, for men to be able to embrace the full aspects of their humanity and their creativity, you know, is about being in a a different um, power source. And, you know, one thing that I think that is like, that happens is we want to look back at history and immediately like there's a tendency to make it wrong. You know, I mean, it's that whole pendulum swinging where the oppressed become the oppressor and and that doesn't change anything ultimately. Right. Right. Paolo Freire said the great task of the oppressed is to liberate themselves and the oppressor. And that feels almost unfair. Right. When you think about it, it's Mm -hmm. like, you can Mm -hmm. think to yourself from a personal perspective, like what, like (laughs) BS, you know? Right. But if what you want is truly liberation, then it has to be for all because otherwise it's moot. Mm. So I know that we could talk for another few hours on this topic and I feel like we are you know, just beginning to scratch the surface of internalized patriarchy and perhaps I can have you back on to, to continue to go even deeper on this topic because... I find it fascinating and I, I would just ask all of you that are listening to really go take to your journal, go to your meditation, go to your daily practice, think about it on your car ride to work, whatever, whatever it is, but really start questioning some of those assumptions, some of those beliefs that you can feel aren't serving you and where they're coming from. And where, where did those get implanted into your subconscious and conscious mind? And who's benefiting from you thinking that? And just to even choose one thought that you can feel like you think the thought and it's, it, you feel that constriction in your body. And it's like, let me just take a look at where that might have come from. And let me just get curious. I... I always love the expression, don't believe everything you think. Oh, yeah. Right? Because a, a belief is just a thought you've thought over and over and over again. And when we look at even something like media and advertising, and we can say, we're smart. We know that when we're watching that ad for the wrinkle cream, that that's absurd or ridiculous or whatever. And then, but then we also have our subconscious mind that is absorbing so much of that messaging without us even knowing it. Mm-hmm. And so there's this, there's so many different layers to our belief systems and to the way that we think. So I want all of you to just get curious and I'm going to be doing the same thing. And, and as I 
raise these two beautiful daughters of mine, beautiful inside and out. And really, especially with my older daughter, who's in the throes of middle school and adolescence, to really see this onslaught of these beliefs that I'm like, whoa, where is this coming from? And then I'm like, oh, that from there, from there, 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 and there, and over there, and over there, and over there. It's like, oh, she's been swimming in this water since the day that she was born. And there's not really anything I can do to save her from it, except for really help her question it from a young age. Mm -hmm. And like you said, the, the leaders, especially the the leaders that are really stepping forward now that are, you know, that are young and they're, they are emotional and they are the ones that are crying, talking about the environment, whether it's Greta or whether I know that there was just, um, another young in Seattle. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is where it's at and to have them be the role models for our daughters and for our sons as well. And also I would say, like, if I can toss in there, like one thing I would say that can, you know, it can get heavy handed. Okay. Like, and, and let's be really real. When people start exploring and deconstructing identity and what happens, it can get really ha- heavy handed because it feels serious because it is serious, right? On some level, these are our lives. This is, is our culture. Um, but I want to invite you to experiment, like to actually to remember, like to play because it's, again, this isn't mm-hmm. about getting it right outside of you for something outside of you. This is actually about discovering liberation inside of you. Mm-hmm. And it's the truly free that can liberate others, that can be in hard conversations, that can take on things like reparations that need to occur, that can stand in solidarity with people so different than us because we hold a vision for our society and who we can be and our children and the way we want to live and thrive. And we can say out loud, we actually know this is possible because you know it in yourselves that it's possible. So like permission to play, like we talked about how you look, that's one way to play with it is just like really, 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 if you start to examine why do you dress like you dress or look like you look or how do you know and what is it and how, you know, just playing with different things or another great one is playing with what you think about work and productivity and the pace of life. Because let me tell you, there are a lot of uh, concepts embedded in that that are driven by the, you know, uh, a, an economic system that is not necessarily about welfare. And I don't mean, uh, let me take that word out, that is not necessarily about the well-being of mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so there's just like, just to play with some of these concepts or places where you come up against things where you think, well, that's just how it has to be. That is a great place to enter and go, Oh, who says so? Right. Why do I think that? Right. And then the other thing that I would say is like, get to know people who may have, um, yeah, just, just get involved on the ground in ways in your community. And try to get to know people who maybe are, have a different experience than you. Because one of the most amazing, liberating things is to connect with people who we think are really different and to celebrate the differences that are just like expand our horizons, but to discover and unpack things at the core together. Because that's where you can really go, whoa, you think that too? And so do I. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about things that shine a light on internalized, like patriarchy or constructs. That's one of the fastest ways to do it. That's why consciousness raising groups were so powerful. Mm. Mm. So Shannon, I'm going to ask you a final question that I ask all the guests on my Mm. show. Mm -hmm. And that is what's messy and what's magical about your life right now? Mm. 
Oh my gosh. What's magical about my life is every single part of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'll speak into that. I live in Appalachia. I recently um, moved here because my husband found out that he is Appalachian last Mm -hmm. year, late in life. And, um, and the intact traditions uh, the, the power of a culture that is really connected to place mm. and, um, and also just the, the um, yeah, just the landscape and the fact that it's really not precious. It's, it's been an incredible, like I've just had my jaw open, my eyes open wide as I'm just watching people generation after generation pass down culture and herbs and health and magics and healing and strength and food growing and dancing. And, um, and I'm not being, this is, I'm not painting this. Like it's perfect. I just mean to be inside of community that is community, um, is, is pure magic and incredibly reviving for my spirit. And what's messy is, Um, just the, the ongoing dance of um, my own leadership and leading this work, especially at this time, I thought that we would be, you know, you and I've laughed about this. I guess I was, you know, I was naive. I thought by this point in time that I would be really stepping back, you know, that things would be changed in a different way. And right. I've discovered that um, even though I'm getting older and feeling like tired or, you know, having different experiences in my body that, that actually the work is more important and I'm trying to find um, how to build bridges, but also at the same time, like to be candid, what's messy is that we don't, when I say this, I don't mean this urgent panicky. I just mean like sort of no nonsense, old school, school marm. We don't really have time for the nonsense. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, we, it's, it's like, come on folk, like, come on. We got to like really move into this other level of conversation. So holding how to do that with like, soulful and compassion and and the mystery and the magic of life and like hey there's some gritty real hard conversations and work that needs to be done and and there's a solidarity that needs to be experienced there are plenty of people around this country who are standing up and saying we cannot keep carrying the weight of this just us and we need everyone to stand up and do their part Mm. and they're right yeah Thank you so much, Shannon, for being here with us today. I really want to encourage everyone to go and check out ShaktiRising.org, which is um, the organization that Shannon is the founder and visionary director of. And it's one of those organizations that I donate to when I can. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually donate a percentage of book royalties to the organization. Mm -hmm. And it's such an incredible organization that's doing phenomenal work in the world. So especially as we're coming up on the holiday season, if you're looking for a place to donate um, and really give back to that's focused on women and girls and organization, I can't recommend Shakti highly enough. So definitely check that out. Thank you, Amy. You're welcome, honey. Thank you so much for being here. And I really do hope that you'll come back on the show because I feel like we have so much more to talk about. So much more to talk about. Well, then for you, I would do anything. You're so sweet. Okay. All right. So with that, everyone, keep embracing the messiness and the magic of life. Keep rising and leading. Until next time, it's Amy and Shannon signing off. Bye-bye. Bye.